And so we're looking in the book of Exodus, and I don't have the page up, but the series that we've been looking at is the idea of responding and overcoming rejection in life. And we're looking at it from the life of Moses. And Moses dealt with that. Moses observed that, and Moses dealt with being rejected uh, several times. And uh, so now we've been following his life and some of the things he's done. And we saw he was actually born in the context of racial rejection. His people were rejected by Egyptians. He was an exception to that. He was raised in one of their households. And then as he became, came of age, Moses wanted to insert himself as a uh, really appeared to be an aristocratic type to his people, but he inserted himself to try to defend them because he saw they were a slave class being oppressed. And when he did, they pushed him away and said, get out of here, who do you think you are uh, trying to be uh, run our lives? You're going to kill one of us like you did the Egyptian. And then next thing you know, he's being rejected by his countrymen. He's rejected by Pharaoh who's trying to hunt him down. And Moses had to, at age 40, run away from where he was grown up in Egypt in the comforts of life and run away from the people ethically that he was connected to and lived a couple, probably a hundred, couple, probably a couple hundred miles away east in the land of Midian, a smaller, uh, quieter type of life, had started a family, worked for a man named Jethro, his father-in-law, and dealt with a lot of sheep. And that's where we meet him again here in chapter 3. We've been looking at a couple different messages. Last week we looked at the idea and the concept of how God calls people from one stage of life into another stage of life. Most people have stages of life. You know, your youth, your 20s, your 30s, or unmarried, or married, or married with kids, married without kids, and all that different stages of life. We saw in Moses' life how God called him and the things God used when he called him and led him into a new stage of life. You can look up uh, that next. You can look up that on our videos, okay? If you need to get that message or our podcast, but that's what we dealt with. That's what the Bible's teaching us. Today, we're going to look at how Moses was called to be involved. Now, though he was pushed away by his Israelites, saying, "We don't want your involvement." Years later, God says, "I want your involvement," Amen. and God takes a man. And so that's what we're going to look at. Chapter Chapter Three. Just be patient with me today. I, I trust this message will help you. It's a two-part message, actually, because we'll finish out the other half in chapter 4. Chapter 3 of Exodus. Let's listen to the life here of Moses and how he meets God, and God begins to call him. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see... God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. He said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. For he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, 
I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. Affliction. And I, for I know their sorrows and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of a land out of that land unto a land, unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say unto me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Go. And gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and have seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and, unto, and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt. And ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, and I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. And I will, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when you go, you shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her, of her that sojourneth in her house, jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. Let's pray and ask God to truly teach us today, okay? Lord, thank you again for letting us be here. 
Thank you for my brothers and sisters and friends here and guests. And we want to hear from you and let me not get in the way of that. And help us where we're at in our life stage, young or old, and help us to receive this type of, help us to be uh, obedient to you um, as we, like Moses, hear you calling us, calling us to involvement. In Jesus' name, amen. So the scripture talks about Moses here being in God, calling him to be involved in something he has for him. I, it, sometimes it's a little embarrassing telling my per, personal stories, but I feel like I'm supposed to, to make myself vulnerable. But when I was in ninth grade, I liked football growing up, and um, I played it. I didn't play it in high school. That's part of this sad story. Um, uh, <laughs> I, liked, I played Pop Warner football and then played it just for fun. It was a lot of fun. And, but in ninth grade, I went to Taylor Junior High in Mesa. Ninth, the junior high went up to ninth grade. 7th, 8th, ninth, so ninth technically as freshman. I wanted to play football, and uh, the coach was a pretty good coach. And I remember he was saying something like, you know, guys, if you want to play football, they, this is an announcement, went out several times in PE. If you want to play football, come in and let me know or sign up, blah, blah, blah. You know, and this is the end of my 8th grade year. I think it, no, wait. It was, yes, it was like the, the end of 8th grade. Uh, so he's trying to get guys to come for summer, you know, camp and tryouts and all that by August. So it was like in May, and so I remember going in his office, <clears throat> I think it was like at the end, towards the end of the day, towards the end of PE class, and I walk in there, and he just sat down, he was hot and sweaty, he was kind of a little big, he was a little bit out of shape for being a PE coach, um, uh, but anyways, he's a little, but he was tall, he looked like Skipper from Gilligan's Island, you know, uh, that's another story, but anyways, but he's big, but he wasn't that jovial, um, so anyways, uh, he, I went in there, and I said, hey coach, I, and he, <sighs> I said, hey, coach, I just thought I'd sign. I want to sign up for football. A bunch of guys already signed up, a bunch of guys over there. And, uh, you know, um, anyways, I, and I said, and he goes, oh, Henry, you got And he mumbled something, 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 and I didn't hear the rest of what he said. I just walked out. And I was discouraged by the way he reacted to me. As a, you know, I was already small for my grade and everything like that. I, I was kind of fast, but I just got, maybe I was a little too easily discouraged, but I got discouraged when he did that. And, uh, and then, so I just kind of like walked, I didn't hear what the rest of what, I mean, I listened to him, but I couldn't hear anything. I wasn't hearing, hearing what he was saying. And he mumbled a few things, and I walked out. I'm like, I'm like, I'm not signed up. <laughs> I'm not going to try out. Um, I felt like he said no. He was basically saying, no, I don't need you. There was, a, there was a very strong Mormon school on the side note. There was very, lots of Mormons at Taylor Junior High. It's named after a Mormon. And the coach was, and a lot of the kids were. And, they, oh, and I was a lot of times got a little subtle pushing aside. A couple other sports moments where I was like, you know, I found out I wasn't the Mormon. So that was another issue. But, um, but I remember feeling rejected. I really did. And I just tried to feel, all right, well, I'm just going to have to go on. You know, I like football. Maybe, maybe I'll try to high. Sophomore year, but I never did. But, um, uh, but, but what ended up happening was, uh, I remember by that next September, I remember, you know, just ninth grade year, I wasn't playing any sports. I planned to wrestle. I did wrestling that, that winter. That was good. And, um, but I remember thinking, man, I would have loved to play football. I loved to play football, and I kind of missed out on that. And, um, but I remember distinctly in my own experience, just out front, wrestling with a friend it was it was like in September and so I was the the 
we were in a yard next to our yard, and I was messing around with a friend. We were wrestling around, and my dad pulls up. And my dad normally worked at General Motors Proofing Grounds, but he had to do some extra work for some other income, so he started uh, working at a shop, his own shop, and renting some space and doing some side work at another, in another place after his work time. And I remember dad pulling up the driveway, and it was already dark, and I thought to myself, man, my dad's getting back late. He's been doing that quite a bit the last week or so. And I realized it's because he had to kind of work a second type of a job, having this shop that's just newly, he's newly getting started. And I remember dad pulling up in the driveway and looking over at me like this, and I get up from wrestling, and I'm all sweaty, and I get up, and he said something like, you're going to work with me tomorrow, you know, <laughs> something like that. And uh, in those, so many words, and I was like, okay, because I was connecting the fact with my dad's been working later, and now he's calling me to come help him. And from then on out, for that ninth grade year, starting in 1988, September of 1988, started working for him and uh, took little short breaks and adjusted to the wrestling schedule. But, um, but I thought that was a good replacement for me. Uh, I wasn't, I, I was so sports-minded, like a lot of guys. I was so sports-minded, I'm like, what am I going to do with my time if I'm not playing sports? Well, Dad found me something, you know, idle hands of the devil's workshop. He'd get rid of those idle hands, put them sanding cars and painting and hammering out things and sweeping floors and, and getting dirty. And so that's what I did after school ever since then, since two, till 2008, really. Um, I did get out of school before then, though, uh, before 2008. Um, so that was good. I guess what I'm trying to say is I went from a, a scenario of being rejected to a scenario of being called and come on over here and, and be involved here. reject my involvement to call me to involvement and it was a very healthy thing for me to work for my dad in my case Moses had the same thing as we mentioned 40 years earlier he was trying to be involved and he was pushed away we don't want your deliverance we don't want you to help us even though we're a slave class and we're pathetic we don't want you to help us and so in in the big picture it wasn't God's timing so Moses left and of course now Pharaoh whom he was under trying to hunt him down because Moses had killed in self-defense, intervening between two Israelites, killed an Egyptian. So now the Egyptian king's after him. So Moses runs away as a, as a reject, as a reject. And he's in Midian, 40 years old, and he's going to live another 40 years in Midian. So he's two-thirds through his life. He's 80 years old now, be the equivalent of a 50-year-old today by proportion of how long he lived altogether. So now he's 50, basically with the equivalent of a 50-year-old, technically 80. And now God shows up, and, and it's like he's rejected over here, but God shows up and says, hey, I want you to come with me over here. I have an issue. I have, a, I have an issue that I want you to be a part of now. I need some help in that sense. I need. God doesn't need anything. He chooses to, to use us, right? So I was rejected. I was called to involvement later. Moses rejected now he's called to involvement later and he's and now he kind of has to struggle now he was really eager being involved earlier but this guy's had 40 years pass he's past middle age and now god says he wants him to do something he's like ah, i got some questions and that's what we're going to look part of what we're going to look at but before we do i want you to think about you for us you and i today god does not ignore any Christian for us today. If you're his, you're his, 
you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're His child. You're in His family. And you should be part of a local church and find a way to get involved there. But God does not reject your place in His mission. Okay? God does not reject a Christian's place in God's mission, God's desires for this day and age. You see, God looks out across... Let me pause a second. God this day said to Moses, Hey, I see all the oppression of my people. I see the Egyptians uh, oppressing them. I see, hear them crying to me. Why don't you come? Let's go, let's go take care of this. God in this day and age sees the oppression of people. He sees that there's sin that oppress people. The, the state of sin is an oppression. People will die and go to hell in their natural guilt of sin. And the effect of sin is oppressing people. The problem in our country is not our politics. It's all the sin we're tied up in and legalizing and putting more freedoms on. Sin is our problem. God sees the sin that's oppressing us. God sees the sin that's oppressing you today, that's hindering you today. God sees the sin that God sees Satan oppressed. God sees the secular trends and everything else that messes up people and oppresses the world. God sees that today, and He's calling us as Christians to be salt onto that and light onto that. He's calling us to be involved in helping the souls of people to be saved and helping even in things that will help just in basic things of life. God is calling us to involvement to do something to help people be saved, and help people follow Him today. He does not reject your place in His mission today. He notices the oppression similar to how He notices oppression in Egypt's day, in Moses' day in Egypt. Today, like Moses, we are called to be involved in His work. Like Moses was called to be involved in His work, whatever, 3,000 years ago, whatever it was. Today, God calls you to be involved in His work. To be involved with Him. God's just not like, hey, I'm glad you got saved a few years ago. Let's just watch, see how you do. Whenever you need anything, just call me. <laughs> no, He's like, hey, did you read what I've been saying? In the I got some things I'd like you to do too. Listen to some scriptures that talk about God calling us to be involved in His work. These are things He's told us. He says, go ye therefore, to everybody, this is Christians He's talking to. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. He says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. God's calling us to be involved with that. Romans 12, 1, he says that we should present our bodies to him like a living sacrifice for his service. John 12, 26, Jesus says, If any man serve me, get involved serving me. Him will my Father honor. John 12, 26. And then Galatians 6, 10. Paul says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Do you see that God calls, just like He called Moses to, in, with this Egyptian deliverance issue, and leading him in the wilderness. He's like, I'm not a Moses. Well, we're a modern day, we're his Moseses now. He still has something. He still has people he wants to deliver. Not in all the political mentality, but spiritually. God calls us to be involved with him, reaching a person, loving on a person, caring. This, uh, there, I've seen so many specific things right now. I'm just going to read some of this. There's so many specific things that I was thinking about, and I wrote this down that Christians 
can make a difference right now. So many things that Christians, that you and here today and myself, we could make a God-honoring difference like Moses did. You see, Moses went and he had to deal with this big shot Pharaoh and all those ten plagues and rally about one or two million people out across the river and all that stuff. That was a big deal. And, and he made a difference. But today, we can make a God-honoring difference in just a few little things. You know, prayer makes a difference. You know, God calls us to prayer. He calls us to be involved in prayer. Jesus says, my house should be called a house of prayer. Even in the Old Testament, it was supposed to be called a house of prayer. On our Wednesday, first Wednesday of each month, we have our prayer groups. And uh, just did this last Wednesday. We had men in here, had the ladies in here. We pray to get, We have a little devotional. We pray together. And they have some uh, uh, refreshments. I, I think next time we should have more people for that. We should have oh, ladies, come on out for that. If that's the only Wednesday you can make it a month, make it to that one. Men, if that's the only one Wednesdays you can make it, we had to have those prayer groups full. The church was born and strengthened in prayer meetings. Um, God calls us to involvement with prayer. God calls us to involvement with, with missionary support and in, in communicating to our missionaries and helping to give to our missionaries or visiting our missionaries. God calls us to involvement. He called Moses to involve himself in delivering the children of Israel. God calls us to just help one person. Maybe call one person you haven't seen in church lately. Maybe visit one person that you hadn't, that you hadn't uh, seen or heard from lately or text one person. We had some guys uh, visiting and doing some calls yesterday. I was encouraged by that. And that, that's, uh, that's God's work right there. Personal conversation about the gospel. Talking to one person about the gospel is just as valuable. It's helped delivering somebody from darkness to light. God calls us to do that. You say, we're looking at this thing of Moses today, and you think, oh, that's Moses. But you have something. You have somebody you can help deliver. You have another Christian that you can help deliver a blessing to. You and I are like Moses's. I, I've said this before, and I'm failing on it myself, but I think hospitality efforts are the most underrated but most effective Christian ministry we could have. If you have any square foot of any place you live, you could use it if you're kind. And say, come on over here, let's have, let's have coffee. I'm telling you, I think it could be as effective as, as a big day. We, you know, we, want, we like doing big days at church and stuff. We get a lot of people here and have fun stuff. That's cool. I think having, sometimes just get one person to come over to your house, spend a little time with them, can be just as effective. God calls us to that. That helps. It's ministry. He's calling us to involvement. This is another thing, and, and churches have to gear, kind of gear themselves up for it, but... You know, the church, it says religion. The Christian religion is called to help orphans and the fatherless, fatherless and widows in their affliction. That's something we definitely need to have a radar up for and doing it as much as we can. We're called to that, delivering people in their affliction in that context. Even things like we have right now in our church nursery, work, we've just got a new nursery schedule. That's, that's, that's important, connecting with that and keeping that up. A nursery schedule, people that teach, people that clean, people that organize, do stuff behind the scenes. All that is God calling and somebody responding to the need to be involved for this local church. Help plan a church or plan a church. My mom's uncle, uh, Stuart Morgan, my, uh, my great uncle, I remember he helped start a church in upstate New York one time. He wasn't even called to be a pastor. He says, I wasn't called a pastor, but I felt like I was supposed to help this guy start this church. And he helped, us, he helped somebody start a church years ago. 
Um, the Spanish ministry. I'm glad Brother Jose has followed the Lord's call and in, in, in leading and in, in helping us have a Spanish ministry where we can see Spanish-speaking people delivered from being lost to being saved and being a baby Christian to being a fed Christian. And that's, he's responding to that call of involvement. All this involvement, this is one thing I, it sometimes gets me so upset. And I, you've heard me say this stuff. But sometimes I see Christians, they put so t- tenaciously, politically charged stuff on their media and on their bumper stickers and all that. So, so enthusiastic about their politics, but dead in their concern for the gospel. And only one really matters. Okay? One really matters. All the politics are temporal stuff, and I'm, you know who I am, the right-winger, conservative, all that. But that's all temporal stuff. It doesn't change hearts all that much. Gospel does. The gospel does. And so God's involvement is a well beyond voting and nice, your cute little snarky political bumper stickers. It's, it's, it's his gospel work. It's following him, uh, serving others, reaching the lost, these constitute God's call forward to be involved, just like he called Moses. Hey, Moses, I got you at the picnic. I know you're busy with the sheep. Come on over here. I, I want to teach you. I want to show you something that is a need that we have. So here's the deal. Here's how we're going to handle this from here forward, this, this subject, this text. In this passage, let's go to the next point here. Uh, called to be involved in this Two chapters, we see common hindrances to somebody being involved, okay? There's six of them that we see. The first one wasn't a problem with Moses, but I see as a problem with us. The next five were a problem with Moses, okay? There's six common hindrances to Christian involvement. The, fir- the, the, the five of them Moses had a problem with. The first one, let's notice, is this. The first hindrance to people being involved that says, I know what you're saying, but I don't want to get involved. I don't want to do something. I'm glad I'm saved, but that's all I want to do. The first hindrance is this. Number one is a lack of interest. A lack of interest. Some people just aren't interested in what God has to say beyond how to get to heaven. A lack of interest. Now, let's just just spend some time in Moses' moment, we have before, but I think I want you to see this clearly and see Moses' moment and compare it to our, our moment and our responses to God. Okay? Moses, the burning bush deal. Here we go, chapter 3, verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. We've preached this. It's like the third time I'm mentioning this. But Moses is doing his business, taking care of all these sheep, man, they're all around him and everything. And he sees a bush burning. And the Bible says that's, that was God's messenger. That was God's, God was the personality speaking there. But he used a flame of fire. That flame was his angel. That burning bush was his angel. It was his communicating factor. And so Moses sees this bush burning. And he probably had seen bushes burning. He probably had seen things on fire in the desert. It's real dry. But it's not consumed. It's still burning. It's still burning. There's no smoke. I don't see a crackle. It's kind of green still. I don't see it black. It's still burning. 
I'm going to go check this out. The Bible says he said to himself, maybe he said to one of the sheep, I'm going to go check this out. Nobody else talks to me. i got to talk to you. you know? And so he says, I'm going to go check out this bush. Why? It is not consumed, he says. And so he says, verse 3, I will turn aside, see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called unto him. So God did something to start to get his attention. But he wouldn't say anything yet. He's this burning bush. To get us to see if he see if he responds to this, see if he knows this, this is different. If he didn't respond, then maybe God would have just kind of left it at that. I don't know. But once he saw that this is something unusual, and he approached it because he knew it was something unusual, then God said, All right, now let's start talking. He got Moses' interest. Moses, I mean, that's different. And when he responded, God spoke to him. Does not the Bible get your interest? This is a burning, this thing is not consumed. People keep trying to destroy this book. They can't destroy it. It keeps burning and it won't be consumed. Did you know that? Did you know somewhere, was it somewhere in the Europe, there was some infidel that says, we're going to put out the Bible and destroy it forever, blah, 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 blah. And they ended up putting like a Bible printing house in that guy's, a Bible printing company in that guy's house. You know, I mean, they can't destroy this. The, the scriptures are indestructible, right? God's got them. Even if they did, God's got them in His cloud, right? Forever, Lord, that word is settled in heaven, right? Now it'll always be. Um, he says, uh, generation to generation. He says, thy words are, um, and they they are pure, and they will continue from generation to generation. So, God, that's an amazing. Whoa, that's an unusual book. What if that catches my attention enough to get me to go, what does it say? You know, because what happens in, in life, this is how we are, and I'm the same way, the modern American. We go along, and what, what, what gets our interest? Oh, what's that? You know, a tweet, uh, a meme, uh, you know, another video that are endless, you know. I, I see them too. That's what captures, that makes me pull aside and get my attention. That captures my attention. Another screen, oh, I'm going to watch this. That gets me to pull aside and see this great sight, you know. A, a, a sports thing, which is fine, they're, they're fun, that's good. That gets me to pull aside and gets me mesmerized to catch my attention. But does the Bible ever get you to pull aside to look at it? Does God, does this book ever make you say, wait, what did God say? That's interesting. That pastor said something. I wonder if he's right about that. Go back and this is a burning bush. Does it, God ever get your attention with this book? Does he ever get your attention with this book? And so a lack of interest sometimes will I don't really want to know any more what God. I know he thank you for Jesus saved me. I don't want to know much more than that because then he might have something to say to me. That's exactly right. Moses knew, oh, what is this? Yeah, God did have something to say to him. But we need to, so um, God, the Bible is that burning bush that God wants to get our attention with that we should turn aside and look at. Turn aside and and be a little more intense and say, God, what are you trying to tell me? So the Bible says in Acts 16, 14 about Lydia that when, when Paul went there, the Bible says that he spoke and, and, and Lydia responded. You know why? Because God, God opened her heart. Isn't that good? I like it when God works on the other side. You know, when I, I preach and I witness and when I sometimes I detect that somebody's already dealing with somebody, I'm happy about that. You know, 
God opened Lydia's heart so that it wasn't just Paul doing a song and dance to get her to pay attention. It was He was telling the truth and she had already, God had already dealt with her and her heart was open. She was interested. She was interested. The Bible talks about our heart, about purposing in our heart. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. God loves that. He loves a heart that's purposed to listen, purposed to serve, and not grudgingly giving or serving. So what hinders a person from being involved for God? It's sometimes I'm just not interested. I'm, 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 I'm interested in a bunch of other things, but I'm not really that interested in God. Some people aren't even interested right now here. I don't know. Some people come, and I don't know why you come, but you just matter of routine. But sometimes we need to say, I'm, I'm here because I'm interested in hearing from God. Number two, a claim of insignificance. So now here we get actually Moses' hang-ups and his excuses. He has five. Now we got to sympathize with him because he had to write this about himself. You know, he wrote this. You know, he wrote that he had these, as he's, this whole account. So what is Moses Saying, so again, let back up. God says, Moses, I saw the affliction of my people. I've heard their cry. Now you come, let's go deliver them out of Egypt. And so Moses begins his one of five responses. This is a hinder. He says, this is what's hindering me, Lord. Verse 11, Moses said unto God, who am I? Who am I? Verse 11, that I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. That's a good question. I would have asked that. I don't blame him for asking this. Again, think of it. Moses raised 40 years under, in, not just in Egypt, in Pharaoh's family. This is a different Pharaoh we're talking about, but still royalty. And then kicked out. And just like overnight, his life drastically changes. Now he lives 40 years in a whole different spectrum, in a whole different place. Drier, quieter. Maybe that was good. All that. And now, and he was hated us, thing he knew. And now God says, hey, let's go back and let's go talk to Pharaoh and let's yank all those people of yours out of Egypt. He's like, who am I? He's understandably not confident after being 40 years basically really demoted. They think he may have been letting, they think Moses was, it says he was mighty in deeds, right. words and deeds, it says when he was serving in Egypt. So he had some notoriety. Now he has nothing and it's been 40, he thought, he's understandably not confident. You ever get like that? After a while, your, your glory days are gone. Now you feel like you're supposed to do something other. I'm not confident. I don't know if I can apply for a job again. It's been a long time since I've worked a job at such and such thing. That's how he feels. He's like, who am I? He says, I'm insignificant. He was somebody, but now he's deficient of his influence and of his authority. And so what's God's reply to him? God's reply, there's a reply and there's a promise. Well, or a prediction. He says, certainly, um, verse 12, certainly I will be with thee. Okay, I'm going to be with you. You feel like you're nobody? Well, I'll be with you, so that makes us somebody, right? So God says, I know, yeah, you're, I'm going to be with you. All right, then. And then he says, and besides that, you're going to watch that. You'll proof that I'll be with you because you're going to end up bringing them right back to this place that uh, we're standing right now on this mountain. You'll serve God on this mountain. But what's God's reply in particular? I'll be with you. I'm a nobody, God. But he says to us, 
I'll be with you always, even unto the end of the world. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you ever feel like you're a nobody? Yeah? Feel like you're a nobody? If you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, you just got to believe the Bible, right? He says, I'm with you. Yay! That's what makes me good. It's the good God, not me. The Bible says that we ought to think soberly about ourselves. It's not bad for Moses to say, wait a minute, I'm a nobody. That's a, yeah, that's honest. The Bible says in regards to us, Paul says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that's among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And so I need to think soberly, realistically. Yeah, I don't think I'm that much, really. Think realistically, think soberly. But God is with me, so whatever He's telling me to do, let's do it. He's with me. What does it matter if God's with me? What does anything else matter? It's just as true. Number two, so number one, there's a lack of interest. Number two, claim of being insignificant. Sometimes we say, well, I'm nobody. I don't want to do... Pastor, I heard you say things about you know, calling people and visiting and trying to be involved. And so I just, I'm not anybody. Well, if you have... If, if you have the Lord with you and you're willing, that's something. That's something, right? It is. Number, number three, a claim of ignorance. This is, this is a cool spot. Look what it says in verse 13. Moses, so he, Moses replies after he, God gets through his first excuse. Moses says in verse 13, Unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say unto me, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? Now, you've got you to realize, okay, so here's Moses and God. Years before that, God appeared to Abraham. He spoke to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And he'd say, I am the Lord. If you ever see in your Bible, it says capital L, capital O-R-D. The Hebrew word is not just like the little L-O-R-D where it's like master, the Hebrew word is like Lord, like the Lord, like Yahweh. By the way, we don't even know exactly how it sounded. If it's Yahweh or Yehovah, nobody even knows. Nobody knows exactly how they said it. It's Jehovah, Yahweh, which is it? It's something like that. Yah. I, when I hear the Hebrew guy pronounce it, he's Yahweh. And they call <laughs> like that, you know. They get a little. But anyways, God, it's a personal name. So capital L-O-R-D, it's referring to that personal name of God. That's what he did when he spoke to Abraham. I am the Lord, Yahweh. Same thing, Isaac. Same thing, Jacob. I am the Lord. It wasn't just like, hey, I'm God. God's like a general term, just a deity, deity in general. I am the Lord, thy God. And so when Moses says, okay, Lord, you want me to go to, you want me to, go to all the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? You want me to go to all of them and say, God sent me? Well, <laughs> when I go to them, they're going to say, yeah, what's his name? Because they know his name. They know his name. What's his name? So what am I supposed to tell them? What am I supposed to say? And the Lord says, tell them. And he said this. Yahweh. I am. It come, the sound is not as important. The sound, the sound is not as important as the meaning of what that is. I am. I exist. Okay, so what, it's like this. So he says... Lord, who do I say sent me? He says, I am sent you. Because in Egypt, in Egypt, they were around many 
gods. There was sun god, there was the god of the underworld, there was a god of the rivers, there was a god of the trees, the frogs, the lice, the... Oh, there's a god of everything in Egypt. I am Ra, the sun god. I am Fred, the god of the underworld. No offense to Fred, I'm just making this up. But there was a, they made up God. There was gods. I am God this. I am so-and-so the God of this. But they weren't gods, right? It was false. And so when Moses says, tell them, who, who do I tell them sent me? And it's not so much the sound of how he pronounced it, but what came through is, tell them the I am sent you. They ain't. I am. They knew a bunch of ain'ts. They hear, oh, the sun god, he ain't. He ain't. I am the underworld, he ain't. The I am, he is, sent me. It also, when God says, I am, you know what else he's saying? The, 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 the way it conveys is that I am, that is, the eternal, from always existing this way, present now, and always will be the eternal existent God, the uncreated first cause of all other causes. That's what he means by I am. And so he says, tell them that's who sent you. All right then. But you know what? Oh, and he also says, and, and, and it's like he said, Moses, who, who, who sent me? Who, who do I say sent me to them? And he says, tell them the I am, and I am the God of thy fathers. I'm coming to help. I'm showing up to help keep my commitment to them. I told them I was going to give them this land. So here I am. I'm a faithful covenant-keeping God. And so we got a plan. I'm here. I I, I watched what happened. I didn't cut my deal on you when I made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm not out of the picture. I'm here. Now let's go do this. Let's get you back in the land. Let's get this deal going. He's a faithful covenant covenant-keeping God, eternal God, who is a delivering God. He says, tell them that's the God who sent you. Now, you know what's great about this? It's the same God we have. Now, if we were to believe the Bible, Jesus says, that was me there. John 8, 58, Jesus got in this, the Jews got in a fuss with Jesus. Who do you think you are, son of God? You call yourself son of God. And how, you're not even 50 years old, and you think you've already seen Abraham, And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus said that. So this is Jesus. This is the the Son of God as here saying this to Abraham. And we have him. He's our God, too. He's our God. He's the same deliverer. Just as he's saying to Moses, I'm going to deliver my people from the bondage of Egypt. He's saying to us today, I'm going to deliver Lost people from the bondage of sin. We know that same I am today. We're not ignorant. You don't have to be a theologian. You, you need to know something in your Bible and keep knowing more. But you don't have to be, you know, some other special things. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you know the God that, that Moses knows. I can't be involved because I don't know much. I'm ignorant. If we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, we know something. We know Him. We should walk with Him. He's also the covenant. He's still the king's covenant-keeping Lord and Savior. 
saving and keeping. And he still delivers. I like what it says in Hebrews 2.15. Hebrews 2.15, it says of Jesus, that says that he, Jesus, would deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus, who's our Savior, when we teach, tell people about Jesus Christ, He's there to deliver people who are subject to bondage in fear of death. So, Moses had these hindrances. He didn't have the hindrance of interest. He took an interest in the Lord. But he's like, ah... I'm a nobody. I'm insignificant. And then he says, I'm, I, I don't, I, I'm ignorant. I don't know. No, the God says, no, you know who I am. This is who I am. Later on, we'll see some of his other excuses. We'll bring him out on another message where he says, well, I'm not ignorant anymore, but if I go to them, I'll be ignored. They won't listen to me. And then God answers that. We'll look at that another time. And then chapter 4, verse 10, he says, well, God, I'm, not, I'm ineloquent, which was not totally true. And then later on, it just, he was downright unwilling. And God had to just do a plan B of sorts with him. But I'm, I'm saying all this to help us because, you know, God wants us to be involved. God wants us to be his Moseses, right? And sometimes we have similar excuses. I was reading about a, a uh, guy, this is a Christian counselor, telling about this incident. He went to a junior high. He was asked to help at a junior high um, camp, <laughs> junior high Christian camp. And so he said, he goes, you know, one of the things about junior high Christian camp camps, not just Christian camp, but junior high camps, one of the pastimes is sometimes junior high boys think, that having a good time involves picking on people, all right? And in this case, they picked on a young man, who, a junior high boy, who had cerebral palsy. And this involved him, cerebral palsy. And part of it was that when he would walk across the camp, you know, he'd have a, you know, contorted, uh, uncomfortable, grotesque movements as he's moving along, and some of the kids would copy him as he walked and laughed that way. Um, when he would ask for directions of ways the craft shop, the boys would laugh and copy him and mimic him at this camp. This is a true story. And so his stammer, they laughed. Well, it came time one of the mornings, it said Thursday morning, this guy reports um, they're going to do Cabin devotions, and usually they'd have one of the, they'd actually have one of the kids be asked to do it. Uh, cabin devotion, short little devotional, and they asked um, this boy's name's Billy, who had cerebral palsy, to do the cabin devotions. And uh, the counselor knew he's like they're just going to make fun of him. He's going to they're going to make fun of him, and uh, I'm already getting upset about it. And sure enough, as he went and dragged his way up front, in front of the boys, you could hear giggles over the crowd. It looked like um, they were just going to mock him again. But it took him a few minutes 
Billy to just say these seven words. Jesus loves me and I love Jesus. That's all he said. It took him a few minutes just to say that. And I don't know, but God just used that because when he was done saying it, a lot of those boys are crying. And he said, the, the counselor said on the last day or so, it was like a revival of sort broke out for that little camp just because of that moment of breaking some hard hearts. God using the little nobody, his short little testimony unraveled tightly uh, wound wills. God's like that, isn't he? He likes to use the foolish things. Because to break the spirits of the haughty, he's that kind of God. Amen? So he, you know, <laughs> what, what hindered this little guy? He didn't let anything hinder him, right? What do we let hinder us from just being involved on how God may be calling us. What hinders you?